Well, on video this week, my daughter tested positive for COVID. So as a family, we've been in isolation the past few days. It's a difficult time for many as the virus becomes more prevalent in WA. May God keep us all safe. I wonder if anyone recognises this lighthouse. It'd probably be unusual if you did since it was demolished in 1905. It's the former lighthouse at Arthur Head in Fremantle. Back in early times, it was quite difficult to navigate your way into Fremantle Harbour. Things started out, they had flags um, and the flags would guide the ships in. It became problematic though, uh, at nights, so they lit signal fires and those signal fires would guide the ships. But again, this was problematic. The ship Amelia was wrecked on Stragglers Rocks near Rotnest in, on 25th of September 1890, when the pilot of the ship mistook the, uh, a fire on the shore for the signal fire on Arthur's head, he took a wrong turn and the ship was lost. The lighthouse fixed this at least for a while. But as lights began to multiply on the shoreline, some ships found it difficult to distinguish uh, which light was the lighthouse light. The ship Stuttgart visited Fremantle 14 times and carried over a thousand passengers. But one night it almost ran aground when it mistook the light of the Osborne Hotel in Claremont for that of the lighthouse. The pilot was able to turn, turn the ship around in the last moment when he realised he was looking at the wrong light. So something had to be done. In 1902, the Woodman, Woodman Point Lighthouse was built. That's it on the left. It was a breakthrough in lighthouse technology. It operated as a sector light. The diagram next to the lighthouse shows how a sector light works. So on the left, you've got a red section. In the middle, a white section, and on the right, a green section. So if you're headed in the right direction, you see the light as white, and so you keep going straight ahead. If you're drifting to the left, you go into the red light, you see the, a red light, and you have to turn to the right. If you're going too far to the right, you see a green light, and so you turn left back into the, to the right channel. This made things much easier and greatly improved the entry to Fremantle Harbour. Last week I spoke about um, spiritual ministries, gifts, uh, and, and really I said there were crocodiles in the water. There were, there were dangerous things, uh, and, but the water's clear and you can see the crocodiles and it's not, not too bad, it's pretty safe. But if the water is dark and murky, you've got to be careful. Thankfully the Bible gives us some ways which we can, in which we can test the water and see if any spiritual activity is from God or not. Probably the most controversial spiritual activity mentioned in the New Testament is speaking in tongues and prophesying. Paul spends quite a bit of space in 1 Corinthians speaking about them. So today I want to talk about how we can navigate this space in a biblical way. Let's get into it. So the context of 1 Corinthians 14 is of course 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the love chapter. Uh, in it, we read about how important love is. God is love. The Christian life is all about love. Without love, we are nothing. After speaking about love, Paul moves on to speak about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, if they're going to work well, if they're going to be helpful, need to be done in the context of love. Paul doesn't contrast love and spiritual gifts. He doesn't say it's one or the other. He brings them together. So let's read... 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Follow the way of love 
and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So it's not one or the other, it's one and the other. So we need to follow the way of love, and I think there's not much controversy there. Love might be difficult to do, but nobody disagrees that that is a core part of the Christian life. But we should also desire, earnestly desire, spiritual gifts. Both love and spiritual gifts are important aspects of following Jesus. Of course, love is needed. By loving, we express God's heart. God is love. We are known for our love. But if we're going to be effective in serving God in this world, if we're going to play our part in the Great Commission, then we need to be operating in spiritual gifts. These are important ways in which God speaks to us, he guides us, he exercises his ministry through us in the world. But as we talked about last week, the waters have been muddied by people who have claimed to have a gift and perhaps misused that gift or tried to control people or maybe have profited from their gift. So for many, the issue of spiritual gifts is, is not a positive thing or even a neutral thing. They begin from a negative place because they've had bad experiences of people who've misused gift or abused people in the context of gifts in the past. I think we have to recognize that. And for some of us, there may be painful places and painful memories that we carry. But I want to encourage you not to stay in that place. Even though you may have been there, charting a course forward means that we have to move on from there. One of the big challenges of discipleship, of following Jesus, is coming to the text of the Bible and recognizing that the commands and the instructions, they're not meant to be put aside if they're difficult for us or if we find them inconvenient. We bring ourselves, even with our difficulties and our struggles, we place ourselves under the text. Paul gives these instructions because this is the way forward for disciples of Jesus. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Both are important. As we read this, it pushes us towards the realization that a biblical Christian position towards spiritual gifts is to eagerly desire them to be pursuing them. So I want to invite you to do just that. Not apart from love, but with love alongside. Both love and spiritual gifts together. So we are to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And Paul says, especially the gift of prophecy. Paul encourages the Corinthians, follow the way of love, but at the same time, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So wherever we've come from, whatever our starting point, whatever our background or history, we need to finish up in this place where we can hear what Paul has to say, to be guided by the scriptures to a godly and a helpful view of both love and of spiritual gifts. So let's read on. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. So the reason Paul says especially prophecy is because speaking in tongues is essentially an individual thing. It's between you and God. Uh, Paul isn't putting speaking in tongues down. He's not negative about it. He simply contrasts it with prophecy. Prophecy is about speaking to people, to strengthen, to encourage, to comfort. 
And so because other people benefit from prophecy, whereas tongues is an individual thing, Paul says he prefers prophecy in the church because it's a way to build up the church. So go for prophecy over tongues, at least when other people are around. Now, I think so far this is not very controversial. Where things do get controversial is what people believe about speaking in tongues and the role it plays in the Christian life. Around 1901 uh, in Los Angeles, there was a revival of speaking in tongues. It had been seen through history, but only rarely. But in 1901, this revival broke out in Azusa Street. And one of the features of the revival was that quite a few people spoke in tongues. And it became a sign that if you were filled with the Spirit, if you were baptised with the Spirit, you'd be able to speak in tongues. And this was the beginning of modern day Pentecostalism. One of the key points of the doctrine that set Pentecostals apart from other Christians was this emphasis on experience. And they began to claim that speaking in tongues was not only a gift that Christians could have, but it was the defining gift and the defining experience. If you didn't have this gift, if you hadn't had this experience, then you weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. And worse, some would claim that you weren't even a Christian. So in a nutshell, that might be the traditional Pentecostal view of baptism of the, of the Spirit. The Spirit comes upon a person. They speak in tongues as evidence that the Spirit has come. They may or may not speak in tongues again. And this represented the experience of many of the people. And so this doctrine of initial evidence became a rallying point for traditional Pentecostals, but it became a point of division for others. Essentially, some people claimed that if you were a Christian and if you were filled with the Holy Spirit, then you would speak in tongues. If you didn't speak in tongues, then either you had not been filled with the Spirit, and in some extreme cases, and even today some groups hold this view, you wouldn't even be a Christian. But the problem, of course, is that not everyone uh, did speak in tongues. I know people who have been in Pentecostal churches and have, in general, they've enjoyed the worship and the emphasis on the Holy Spirit, but they've never spoken in tongues and they were kind of felt on the outer when it came to any, you know, really feeling they belonged. Let's read on. Verse 4, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Speaking in tongues is an individual thing. It edifies, it benefits the person doing it. Prophecy, in contrast, is something, at least potentially, that benefits the church or others. Now, of course, Paul also mentions here the gift of interpretation, that someone might speak in tongues and that there would be a gift of interpretation, which would make it intelligible. It would be understandable to others. And if that's the case, he argues, it builds up the church and so it's a good thing. So there were churches where some people did speak in tongues and others who appeared in every other way to be a genuine Christian, but didn't have the experience of speaking in tongues. And a division started to occur. The idea that the practice of speaking in tongues was the essential evidence of being filled with the Spirit created a division between those who had the experience of speaking in tongues and those who didn't. 
I don't actually think the practice of speaking in tongues itself created the division. People have different experiences of God in prayer or in life generally, and that generally doesn't lead to division. But the doctrine, the belief that if you do speak in tongues, you're filled with the Spirit, and if you don't, you're not, that's where the division came. And I suggest it's that belief that has caused the division and still does. You know what, though? I don't find that doctrine in the New Testament. There are records. Sometimes it talks about uh, an occasion where people are filled with the Spirit, and it talks about them speaking in tongues or prophesying. And there are even some occasions where it says they all prophesied and spoke in tongues. But you never see it being taught as a core belief. Instead, as with Paul, you find people being encouraged to explore the experience. Paul says, I would have you all speak in tongues. And he says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. But you never find him saying, you must have this or that particular gift. So as often happens when the church becomes divided, people focus more and more on the small areas of disagreement and forget about the large areas of agreement. Those who've had the experience of tongues rejoiced in the experience. And for some of them, their zeal for others to have the experience, they insisted uh, that this experience, without it, you are missing out on the Holy Spirit. Many who did not have the experience saw the excesses, they saw the dogmatic nature of the teaching, and maybe they'd tried themselves to speak in tongues, but had not had the experience, and so they drew back. And sadly, the church was divided along those lines. I don't think it was the Spirit that did the dividing. I think the people do the dividing. It's our rigidity. It's our pride. Even our misplaced zeal. We forget the way of love. And a particular experience, or a lack of it, ends up becoming the thing that separates us. When actually we're meant to be brothers and sisters in Christ. It's sad. It's sad that at other times, other experiences have divided the church. At one point, it, there was uh, this talk about laughter or falling down. And in similar ways, people divided over those experiences. Those who had, those who didn't have, some said it was necessary, some said it was not. Similar division has occurred. Now, thankfully, conflicts in this area are not as intense or as widespread as they used to be, though they still exist. There are churches where it's okay to be someone who speaks in tongues. People don't look at you like you're weird. And it's also okay, uh, people don't assume, if you don't, people don't assume you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think, you know what, praise God, I think Inglewood is a church like that, where it's okay to be one who practices or to be one who doesn't practice. The pressure's not on. This is more about invitation into a space than pressuring people to go this way or that. So I want to go back to the lighthouse uh, for some perspective on this issue. So here's the lighthouse. Uh, you've got the red light if you're on the left side. Let's label that. This is maybe the side that says you can't speak in tongues. That's the hardline view. That speaking in tongues, at either best it needs to be discouraged or at worst it's a demonic deception. And on the right side, you've got a green light. This is the label you must, you must speak in tongues or you're not filled with the Spirit. And sadly, churches and Christians have polarized on the left and on the right. 
and churches have been divided over this. The, the you can't group are afraid. They don't want to be deceived and they're distrusting. And the you must group can have a sense of superiority. We're filled with the Spirit. Our experience proves it and you're missing out. And these sort of attitudes continue the divide. We should remember that Paul said before he mentioned tongues or prophecy, follow the way of love. There's something, that's something more important than our particular experience or the correctness of our doctrine. Love. So I'm going to propose a way I think is more biblical and more conciliatory and ultimately I think more in tune with Jesus than either of these. The good news is I think as a church, I think we're pretty much on track. So I'm going to share this though to affirm the direction you're going in. You know, sometimes we need an affirmation of our beliefs. Uh, it's not always correction. Sometimes we just want to be affirmed. I think that's a good thing. So I want to encourage you, if you're in the you can't camp, I suggest it will be helpful to move out of the you can't camp, I can't find that in the scriptures, to move into the you can camp. You might not feel you want to speak in tongues, and you don't have to. But biblically, it's difficult to sustain the position that you can't. The cessationist position that all the gifts died out with the apostles or with the, with the coming of the Bible. You can't sustain that position without some mental gymnastics with the text. The you can't position is very difficult to sustain from the data in the New Testament. And I want to encourage you, if you're in the you must camp, I also suggest it's very difficult to sustain that position from the Bible, especially when you look at the text of 1 Corinthians 12, 29. Paul writes this, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now Paul in this text is clearly asking do all? And the, and the question is, for each one, no. The answer is no. Not everyone has the same gift. It's even clearer in the Greek. In English, do all speak in tongues implies that not everyone does. But when you translate it, it has the form of a question that expects a negative answer. In English, it would be more correct to say this. Not everyone speaks in tongues, do they? He's actually making a statement in the form of a question. The argument from Paul is clear. Paul is saying, no, not everyone does. And the same goes for all the gifts. So to say you must, I think is not sustainable from the text. I'd encourage anyone in the you must camp, come back from the hard line, move into the you may camp. Not you, uh, you may, not you must. Most of the time, the problem is not with the theological position we take, it's the coercion the control that we seek to exert over others who might disagree or have a different experience. If I believe this, I'm going to push you to believe it too. And, and there are some ministries that work like that. People who criticize those who have a different opinion. And you know what? That doesn't sound like the way of Jesus. It sounds more like human control and manipulation. We like to put things in little boxes. That's, it looks like this. I can handle the box. And I'd like everybody else to fit in the same box that I'm comfortable with. But when the Holy Spirit is at work, 
I think he invites us into a place of exploration, even a place of play. Let's go on a journey of discovery. He leads us, inviting us to step out and journey with him. The church at times has tended to polarise things, to force people to believe this or that. My encouragement is to come away from the hardline positions, from you must and you can't, to the centre space of you can and you may. This is the place of relationship. This is the place where you can have a conversation. This is the place of responsiveness. This is the place of exploration. I want to suggest the church functions best in that space. Not just in this area, but in all things. We're not going to believe the same things, nor will we all have the same experiences. And this diversity of belief and of experience uh, is a strength of the church, not a weakness. It's like entering the harbour. The most helpful place is in the middle space. Not you can't, not you must, but you can and you may. Let's partner with the Holy Spirit. Let's allow him to lead us. We're walking here with a just and a generous God. It's worth reminding ourselves of just what the way of love is. That Paul, This is the, the way of love spoken about in chapter 13. From verse 4, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. When I hear these words, and I look back and think about how the church has handled controversial issues sometimes around speaking in tongues or prophecy, I think there's been a lack of love in many situations. There's been anger, there's been pride, dishonouring those who disagree with us, keeping a record of wrongs, boasting of this or that experience. It's very sobering to read what Paul says about love, considering how sometimes we've behaved around spiritual gifts. But when we do follow the way of love, there opens up a space for spiritual gifts and their operation that means they'll be used in ways that bless others. If we have a word of prophecy, uh, which I think really is uh, a sense, a thought, a feeling towards another person or a situation that we can verbalize, where we encourage them, we comfort them, we edify them, we share God's will and God's heart for them. Doing that becomes a way of building others up. If we speak in tongues, we do so in a way that considers those around us. We don't just demand our own rights. We don't go off on our own track. We consider who's there. If we feel we're going to do it in a loud public way, we pray for the ability to interpret. Therefore, everyone can benefit. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. They're amazing. They are beneficial. They're important. They equip us to do the Great Commission. But they need to be practiced in the context of love. We're given the instruction to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. I want to encourage you to earnestly desire. 
to move into that space, to explore the gifts. Uh, maybe you want to talk about it with a friend. <clears throat> Connect groups are an ideal place to talk about this. If you feel like uh, you'd like to engage with God in this area, ask him. Ask him for the gift of tongues. There might be some people who have asked and you feel like, well, that hasn't happened. And that's okay, because we're not forcing anyone to do that. Ask God for the wisdom to know how to prophesy, how to encourage and bless others in ways that build them up. I'd like to finish with a story. When I first started in ministry, it was a youth, I was a youth pastor. It started in Mosman Park Baptist Church. So long ago, it was actually last millennium. We organised a Christmas nativity play and there was a baby, a Joseph, a Mary, some wise men. There's probably some angels. I can't remember who was there, but you get the same. It's a bit like this picture here. Now, the pastor's wife in the church in those days, her name was Isabel, and she was a bit cheeky. So as part of the drama, uh, the, the role of the wise men was to come up and see the baby and be pretty impressed by the baby. Now, Isabel decided, because she was a wise man from the East, that was her part in the drama, uh, she would speak in another language while she did this. Uh, she could have made up the language like most normal people, but instead she was very cheeky. She decided she would speak in tongues. Uh, so that was like a public uh, expression. She thought, well, that's okay, I can do it now because they expect me to speak another language. So that during the performance, it came time for her to, to see the baby. So she came up to the baby Jesus. She began to speak in tongues and gesturing to the other wise men how significant this occasion was, how significant this child was. And this was all happening on the stage. Meanwhile, uh, in the pew, I was sitting next to Rhonda. Rhonda's my wife. And sitting next to her was a young lady who was new to the church. She'd grown up in East Turkestan and had come to Australia for an arranged marriage in Melbourne. The marriage had not worked out well. The guy was violent to her and she was hiding in Perth, essentially escaping from this marriage. So she's sitting next to Rhonda and watching this play. And she turned to Rhonda and said, where did she learn Persian? And Rhonda said, she, she doesn't know Persian. And the girl said, well, she's speaking Persian. Rhonda said, what is she saying? And the girl said, uh, as Isabel was speaking over the baby, she was saying in Persian, the king, the king, the king. Now, I guarantee you that Isabel knew no Persian. And I know from the testimony of this girl that Isabel was speaking Persian. She was leaning over the baby Jesus and saying in a language that only this girl could understand. And I suspect this, she was the only person for decades or maybe ever who visited the church who could speak Persian. And she was saying the king, the king, the king. When we move into the realm of operating in spiritual gifts, God does things in ways we can't fully explain with our logical minds. My encouragement to you in this area is step into that space. Have a go. Uh, you may. You can and you may. God can and you may. It's an exploration with God based on the scriptures, seeking to honour him and seeking to build one another up. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. God bless you.